Stay hungry, stay foolish. Now on the Innovation Show, it's a great pleasure to welcome Robert Scoble. Robert is futurist with Upload VR and author of the great books, The Age of Context with Shell Israel and The Fourth Transformation. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you here, man. And there's a quote that always resonated with me when, when I read The Age of Context a few years ago. I thought of the Jeff Bezos quote that is, you have to be willing to be misunderstood if you're going to innovate. And it, yes. you guys have been on the money with what you've said time and time again, e- even back then when you, when you kind of you bet your chips on a future where people would be wearing augmented glasses with Google Glass. Now, that didn't transpire as it, as it should, but the, the concept was bang on. And we're yep. now at this fourth transformation. It'd be great to tell our audience, Robert, about what the fourth transformation is. It's the fourth paradigm shift of the personal computing age, right? Or to simplify, it's the, it's the fourth user interface, right? We, we started personal computers with characters, you know, like DOS, character mode computing, where you'd have to type a command to move a file you know, from a folder to a folder or print something. And then we, the second one was GUI that came along with the Macintosh and with Windows. The third one was uh, mobile computing, particularly touch computing, like the iPhone. Um, and the fourth one is mixed reality glasses or mixed reality, where you see virtual images laid on top of the real world. Most people will, will experience that firstly through looking through a smartphone before yes. we get into the world of the headsets. Apple, I believe, by the end of September is going to announce not just new iPhones, but a, an entire new set of products that will bring augmented reality or next generation augmented reality, what I call mixed reality, into three new iPhones, a new iPad, a new TV box, a new watch, and so on. And all of these products are going to work together to put these virtual images on top of the real world. And you're absolutely right. Everybody has to have a mobile phone. When I travel the world, I go to a slum in Mumbai where people are living with dirt floors, and most of them have an Android phone that looks pretty similar to my iPhone. That's a must-have just to live life. We have 2 billion users who have mobile phones in the world, so there's still 4 or 5 billion people who don't have them. But the people we all are communicating with all have mobile phones. Apple is going to bring out three new iPhones this year with a 3D sensor and a new kind of OLED screen that goes edge to edge so that we can look for Pokemons while holding up the phone or the phone can snap into a headset and then we can uh, play VR or play uh, this mixed reality world where the images are laid on top of the world. And what, what I mean by this, I have a Microsoft HoloLens in front of me. And if you play uh, uh, games there, one of the games is uh, aliens are shooting through the walls in your house and putting holes in the walls. It's nuts what these uh, new technologies can do. And you also get as many screens around you as you want. So I have five screens at home, virtual screens that look like real screens and can be uh, typed on with a Bluetooth keyboard or or with my fingers if I if I needed to do that in a restaurant uh, because my servers are down or something like that. Um, and it's going to let us work in a new way, play in a new way, educate ourselves in a new way, and 
experience the world maybe shopping in a whole new way right yeah and, and that that piece you talked about that mass adoption because for people to buy headsets at the moment it's quite expensive but apple already yes. have this existing ecosystem that they just pivot and, and add a new layer to essentially and it, and it yeah. gives mass adoption because you talked about this in the age of context that there was, there was a, a culture and cultural non-acceptance of google glass and therefore you had, uh, no glass holes allowed signs up in coffee shops etc yeah i i think that's uh, a temporary problem there were several problems with Google Glass. Uh, first of all, it didn't work all that well. The, even the camera, everybody thought, oh, the camera's capturing uh, me in high resolution. And a GoPro was better, <laughs> you know. And certainly a, phone, a camera in the new iPhone is way better than uh, what we experienced on the Google Glass. Because they, the ones I got were basically prototypes and they were compressing the, the images in software. They weren't really optimized for a lot of things yet. And the batteries didn't last very long, and the and the things broke a lot because they were uh, uh, not well designed. On and on, they just didn't have the kinds of utility that would get you over the new kind of social cost. Because there's a new social cost that we that I don't even think Google thought through very well, which is when you put a screen a screen on your face in between our eyes, it bothers us. And we don't know why it bothers us, so we blame the camera. It has nothing to do with the camera. I can prove that. But it, it's, it's the fact that we have a screen in between us, and we, and we were evolved to look into each other's eyes, right? I have an autistic son who can't look in your eyes, and, th and that's a problem for him because he's not going to have the kind of job I have where I'm on stage speaking and, and uh, it, you know, networking with a lot of people because they don't feel comfortable with somebody who can't look in their eyes and can't talk very well. The utility in the next wave of glasses is going to be very extraordinary compared to the Google Glass, and that's going to get a lot of people over that social cost. All technologies have downsides, right? You know, we all drive cars or ride in cars, but those kill 1.2 million people a year. That, that's far deeper of a cost than you know making your friends feel nervous at a dinner party <laughs> exactly but you, you know you mentioned there you mentioned education so this goes way beyond a novelty or an yes. entertainment so so people can be wearing the glasses and getting educated in real time but you, and you also yes. mentioned uh, autism and dyslexia and these kind of things though though those people will be actually helped massively by the and, and i think it's one of the things Absolutely. often overlooked that augmented reality mixed reality virtual reality and also artificial intelligence is going to be a huge aid to some people in in, the, in our society i think it's an aid to everybody but you're right uh, this gives my son a, um, uh, an assistant on his face that can remind him hey you haven't looked at it, this guy's eyes for a bit you know and remind them to be social and remind them a, a blind person could be massively helped with this new technology because the the 3d sensors can see everything in your room and know where uh, where things are and even remember where you left your keys uh or left your coffee right and if you're blind you you could ask it hey siri where's my coffee and it'll say oh it's three feet over to to your left you know something like that yeah and and you you know you you were you were you're in Europe you're in Ireland at the moment and you're coming straight from Barcelona where Mobile World Conference was. What did you see there? The peak behind the curtain you had with Apple, for example. The the big theme this year was five G, 
and 5G is uh, coming along. I, most of the people predict uh, we're going to get it between 2019 and 2022, somewhere in that range. But 5G gives you uh, really a lot more bandwidth down to your device. And you don't need that on a mobile phone. I, I mean, I can watch t live TED streaming videos on my mobile phone just fine. But with these glasses, you can have 10 screens around you or 20 or 30 or 50. And that means your demand on bandwidth coming down to your devices is going to be way higher than it is today. It also um, reduces the latency for uh, internet packet to get from your device to your friend's device. And if you've been playing with VR lately, you know that you can play Frisbee with your friend, you can go shooting, you can play basketball, you can play bowling, uh, you can go ski jumping with your friends, stuff, stuff like that. And if there's any latency in the system, it destroys the ability for you to play or work with other people, right? At Ford, they're using VR to design new kinds of cars. So if I'm, an, if I'm a designer at Ford, I might be working from my home on 3D cars with my coworkers, but I'm not in an office with them. And if there's any latency, it, it just blows the uh, ability for you to work in real time with other people or play with other people. So the, 5G was the big thing there. Uh, at the same time, the uh, game developer conference was going on in San Francisco, and the VR and AR community was there. And, and you saw some new devices, like, for instance, Microsoft brought out some uh, VR devices that use its uh, technology that they developed for HoloLens. So you can do inside-out VR tracking. And now, for people who don't know VR, if you want to play VR like like uh, Frisbee with your friends, you need to have your hands and your head tracked so that you can move around and throw a Frisbee. Uh, the way the HTC Vive does that is to put two boxes on your, on your walls. Uh, they call them lighthouses. And these lighthouses spray light on you and measure the time it takes to come back and and so they and this light this laser light that's being sprayed on you that you can't see um sees the controllers in your hands and sees the um, headset and so now you can move around the little space well uh soon you're going to have a 3d sensor on the devices itself which sees the room you're in and sees the couch or the wall or the table in front of you and lets you play around those things and knows where those things are so it, it um can warn you you're about to run into your wall you know which is a problem in vr because if you're really excited about you know playing tennis with somebody um it, it's uh it's easy to lose yourself in vr and forget that there's a physical wall right in front of you and, and if it doesn't warn you properly uh you hit the wall and hurt yourself or break something right so uh, the new microsoft uh glasses and qualcomm's coming out with some and intel's coming out with some and other companies are coming out with this new inside-out VR tracking where you can play in your house and not hit your walls. <laughs> yes, there's an important distinction between what AR is, which is a, a, an improved version of reality, and then VR, because VR can be this very exclusive world, as in excluding people from around you. Yes. So therefore, they serve different purposes. Yes, they do. It, you know, it's just like a movie theater. A movie theater is dark. Uh, and all you see is the screen, right? And that's VR. Um, AR is you're at home and, and things are being laid on top of physical things, and um, and, and that makes your world better. 
uh, makes it uh, possible maybe to see a blue line in front of your car um, on the lane that you're supposed to be in. So it's easier to use um, technology on top of the world that way. And it's quite exciting to watch these two fields evolve. I think in, in, I don't know, less than five years, the optics are going to come along where it will do both in one set of glasses. It'll do VR and turn black, and then it'll turn. It'll let you uh, look through the glasses to the real world and and do this new kind of augmented reality that we call mixed reality. Yeah, and one of the the great moments, and you mentioned this actually in the in the book, the fourth transformation is when Mark Zuckerberg stands up at F8 conference in April 2016 and he validates what you guys have been saying for probably 10 years about this next shift in technology towards yeah. a world where, where we have this augmented augmented reality. And yeah, and that it's must not be a just Facebook. It, it, it is. Um, it's not just Facebook. Uh, I, I know Microsoft doing it, Apple's doing it, uh, Snap. Um, and many, many other companies. Huawei has 800 people building uh, augmented reality technologies, and I'm sure LG and Samsung all, all are doing similar kinds of investments trying to uh, build the future of computing. You know, here I'm in Cork, Ireland, and just around the corner, uh, Facebook is building a new office because they just bought, uh, last year they bought a company uh, out of one of the R&D labs here that builds very, very small LED lights. And they, they did that work for a fiber optic line. So think about a fiber optic line that's uh, thinner than a human hair. And maybe it has to have 20 LEDs at one end of it to put different color uh, lights into the fiber uh, so that it can transmit data across that fiber. So these lights, these LEDs are extremely small. And what they're going to do is uh, build lights uh, that that will put light into a new kind of op- optic. Um, you're seeing these optics already hitting the market from companies like Loomis and others. That'll be a, like a piece of glass. You look through it, and uh, there's little tiny prisms in the glass that um, direct light into your eye. I, I saw the Loomis lenses um, uh, look like a pair of eyeglasses, and they have a 720p uh, monitor built into the glass. And uh, unfortunately, they're, they're uh, only 720p, right? They're not yet 4K. And the viewing angle um, isn't all that big yet. So you can only see the virtual things looking straight forward. Um, soon we want much wider angle uh, viewing. And that requires uh, putting a lot more light into these optics. And that's that's the kind of work that just Facebook is doing here. And Apple's doing it, Microsoft's doing it, you know, Google's doing it. So it's really exciting to watch uh, the the multi billion uh, multi billions of dollars of investment in this industry by a wide range of companies, and it's uh, going to bring us some really mind blowing products this year. Yeah, and you mentioned the the dominant players. So Scott Galloway, for example, in New York talks about the four horsemen. But there's different there's different horsemen at play uh, uh, of the augmented reality world or the VR world. The the yes. one the one who got out of the blocks first and seems to have blown it a little bit is is Facebook. And and I I, I wonder how Oculus is going to pan out because Apple seemed to be jumping it, VR and gone straight to AR. It's it's a long game, you know. And. Uh, th- Remember, when the Apple II came out in 1977, right, there were 
plenty of other players who came out two, three, four years later. We're still seeing improvements in the PC, even 40 years later. So this is a, a product category that is that important. And you're going to see improvements to these glasses and eventually contact lenses um, that, uh, for, for decades to come. So I, I'm not too worried that uh, Facebook's uh, hasn't figured out how to make a, you know, a, a hugely profitable new business out of these things yet. It, it's it's a long time, and I think you're going to see. Um, well, I see it right around the corner. Facebook has a huge new office where they're just doing these micro LED uh, um, projectors, and they have other offices in Seattle that are building other pieces of this, and then they're partnering with other companies. I wouldn't worry about Mark. He he has enough resources to yeah, and, and enough of a business to last many many years. So he has a few years to figure it out. Yeah, and yes, there might be a little slip in the whole thing, but they're so far ahead that they can catch up quickly and deeper pockets and, as well than most. And even if Apple wins or Microsoft or Google, Facebook is going to play there. Uh, on our iPhone and Android, we all use Facebook every day. I'm not too worried about uh, Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. He has some unnatural advantages. You know, He has 2 billion <laughs> people using his system. Yeah, and, and as, you, as you say there, like the, the advantages include also moves that may seem disjointed. He's moving into entertainment now, buying rights for NFL games. All this kind of stuff is happening. But you can see the master plan come together where you might have a much deeper involvement or engagement in an NFL game, for example. Yes. In fact, in my speeches, I have a video from the NFL where they're already putting sensors around the stadium and they're putting sensors in the pads of the football players and even into the ball. So they're able to see everything about the player, how fast uh, he is running, or uh, how how hard the hit was, or how how far he is from another player. All sorts of different uh, stats are coming along, and you're going to go to a football game soon with uh, these glasses on, and you're going to see those kinds of stats on top of the game as you're watching the game. So you're going to see see you know the completion rate of your favorite receiver or uh, how fast uh, the running back is uh, running. It's going to change how you uh, watch sports. And it's going to change everything. You know, it's it's uh, going to change makeup. It's going to change shopping. It's going to change education, obviously, and certainly entertainment. One of the reasons I, I'm an expert in this new world is I've had a job for decades where I get to see the latest R&D labs and, and visit startups that are trying to do something new. And in 2011, I went to a startup in uh, Germany called Mitayo, and they showed me monsters on the sides of skyscrapers back in 2011. And then Apple bought the company, and they disappeared. So yeah. I, I bet that that company shows back up this year and, and shows us some pretty mind-blowing things. It's been a few of those acquisitions that just seem to disappear and gone quiet. If you interview the companies that they bought, you can see a pattern of what they're building, and it it's uh, mixed reality glasses and uh, iPhones, and they're and they're it's coming this year, and it's going to be quite a a big uh, a big announcement. It's one of Apple's biggest announcements ever. Yeah, so. and we we can't do an interview without talking about the mysterious Magic Leap, and you know, yeah. th there's questions about Magic Leap. Like we don't know what's going on behind those closed doors. Some no. some naysayers and skeptics will say it's Theranos on steroids that there's nothing I, there, but there has to be something behind those stories. Well, they showed investors a new kind of optic. Part of the problem, if you get a HoloLens, um, 
how do I explain this for a radio audience? The virtual things that you're seeing on top of the real world, there's only one focus plane. So if you use HoloLens for a long time, some people get uh, headaches or eye strain because your mind is having to put that virtual thing at different distances from your eye, right? And that's not a natural thing. It doesn't feel natural. So the, the next optics that are coming along will have multifocal planes where it can put that virtual image and it can make it much more natural. And with HoloLens, you, you can only get about as close as maybe a foot and a half or two feet away from the virtual thing and then it disappears. The new optics are going to let you come really close to your face. So if you're looking at a piece of art and you want to study it, you can pull it really close to you. And those optics are a little bit further away. But Magic Leap is building those new kinds of optics and then they're building a new completely rethought operating system from the ground up for this virtualized world. From what the what people have seen it say it's pretty mind blowing. But they showed an optic that I think had twelve different layers of uh, refocusability. And it turns out they can't produce that today. Maybe, you know, in five or ten years they can do that. So they're going to an optic that has maybe two or three levels of uh, refocusability. And we'll we'll see. I I'm skeptical because even if they had a really mind-blowing product, they're up against companies that have brands and have uh, people that Magic Leap just doesn't have. Magic Leap's going to have to build a a new brand from scratch that's going to cost money to do. Um, And they're going to have to build stores where you go in and try things on. Apple already has that. I just am skeptical about how they're going to get to the market and get consumers excited to not use an Android uh, device or uh, from Google or an Apple device from uh, an iOS device from Apple. Yeah, and, and who do you see, uh, Robert, kind of leading the way, leading the charge uh, in the future? Or, or are there several horses? Well, there's several horses. Today, Microsoft is in the lead with its HoloLens product, but HoloLens has a lot of uh, flaws. It, it has a single focus point optic. It's very big and very heavy, and it's built on top of Windows, so it has a, a little bit of an ugliness to the operating system, <laughs> and, and it it doesn't bring uh, eye sensors yet that's coming uh, from several companies. And and uh, the sensors, so HoloLens is actually pretty well engineered. So they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. But there's four little cameras on the front of it that map out your room in 3D. And then it overlays stuff on top of those uh, surfaces. So it sees the couch in front of you and the wall. And then you can have aliens coming through the wall, right? But... If somebody walks in front of the HoloLens, it sometimes breaks the uh, map of the world, and it it, it, it glitches out. It doesn't work. Right. And so um, there's still a lot of flaws in the system, and I think we'll, we'll see what Apple, how good Apple is, right, when it comes out. I expect, based on my uh, research, that Apple is going to be ahead by the end of the year, but you never know, because in this world, you never know where some secret lab is sitting that I don't know about that all of a sudden a new product comes out that has much better optics or much better uh, AI. And Rob, Rob, there was a chapter in the book that I didn't get that I was telling you beforehand. It's one of the longest chapters in the book, What Could Go Wrong? Just could you <laughs> touch on that for a moment because it, yeah. the, the world of AI and people often think of dystopia and they think of Terminator and the rise of the machines and that kind of thing. But, or but, Black Mirror lately. Black, Black Mirror is showing uh, the downside of this uh, mixed reality world where it's hard to figure out uh, what's real and what's not. 
you know, with, with heck, with just VR, I've seen people unable to walk across a conference room floor because when they're inside VR, uh, they're perceiving a uh, plank over a canyon and they just don't want to walk across it. It freaks them out. <laughs> so if, if it freaks you out in VR that way, imagine the kinds of uh, experiences that um, might happen inside these mixed reality glasses. Plus, we haven't even started talking about privacy. You're soon going to wear a 3D sensor on your face. Do you really want to capture it? Do you really want that to work in a bathroom or a locker room? I don't. And I, I'm, I'm pretty aggressive on you know giving up my privacy. But you know, I, I really don't want to... 3d scan of my naked body out on the internet it's not <laughs> that's yeah. not going to be something that i'm going to uh, find uh, amusing right and so we need to figure out ways to turn off these sensors and protect people from privacy incursions like that yeah and and the stuff with the black mirror like so so people talk about often uh the, almost the third space of a coffee shop like this place to to exist but in a world where you know, automation takes over and people talk about a, a universal basic income, a VR world there becomes quite interesting because you can start yes. experiencing the world in a different way. Well, I'm actually optimistic that the mixed reality world is going to create millions of jobs. Keep in mind, you know, in the future, you're going to use your eyes. You're going to look at a Coke can, for instance, on your table and uh, something will happen to that Coke can. Maybe Skrillex will jump out of the Coke can give a performance, and then jump back into the Coke can. Well, how many jobs are needed to create just that? Uh, it's basically Hollywood uh, 2.0. You know? You're, you're going to need uh, uh, new kinds of cameras. You're going to need new kinds of actors or performers. You're going to need creative people to put it all together in Unity, which is the programming environment for VR and AR, um, and on and on. There's several new companies that are cooking. Uh, 8i, for instance, has a new kind of volumetric camera. They, they have 40 little cameras around an actor to capture that actor in 3D, in, in volumetric or in depth, so that you can put that actor on your kitchen table and, and be entertained by uh, him or her. Brilliant. And, and j just on that, Robert, because with the new jobs coming, last question for you is yeah. somebody who's in college right now or somebody who's coming to the end and sitting their SATs or, or sitting their final year exams and wondering what to do in the future, what advice have you got for those guys? Um, learn a technical skill. Learn STEM. That'll uh, guarantee uh, um, that you have a career to start with. And keep in mind, AI is coming after everybody's jobs. It's not just the Uber driver or the taxi driver that is going to see their jobs go away with new new kinds of uh, artificial intelligence uh, technology. They're, they're coming after everything. Right? I saw a company in uh, Israel that built an AI system to look at MRIs, and within a few uh, milliseconds, it knows whether you have cancer or not, and it's more accurate than the doctor. So it's replacing a doctor who has an eight-year uh, degree. Right. Yeah. So if they're com if AI is coming after the doctor, <laughs> it's coming after everybody. Right. So we need to have a system that helps us learn faster so that we can uh, come up with new things for human beings with AI and use AI to come up with new jobs. And that's uh, a weird way of looking at the world. But but, you know, I was just at an R&D lab here in Cork, Ireland. And that's exactly what they're thinking about. They see many new jobs.
the jobs at this R&D lab are with chemists and material engineers and, and computer scientists and people who are doing computational photography and all sorts of new technical skills. If you have technical skills and you can look at the world that way, you, I'm, I'm fairly cer- certain that you're going to be able to change your career to keep ahead of the forces of automation. It's the people at the lower end of scale that I'm worried about. But even there, the glasses are going to te- are already being used at Boeing to teach people how to fix a jet engine. And at Caterpillar, they're using the glasses to teach people how to fix a million-dollar tractor. So we're going to be able to take somebody out of the tr- truck driving industry or the taxi cab industry, give them a pair of glasses and say, here, you, you need to go to school maybe for a year or two to learn some new skill. But the glasses will really help you get there. And then the glasses will help you do your job when you get uh, deployed to industry. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a lovely way to, to finish up. So it's not all it's not all bad. There's some great stuff coming. Um, yeah. Robert, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. It's really an honor. And, and two fantastic books. I can't recommend them enough, especially the fourth di- transformation for business people who want to get a grasp of what this does because it doesn't go technical heavy and also the the age of context is still in date you know it's still highly worth reading thank you very much i appreciate that so robert where can people find you the best way is facebook um that's where i spend most of my time um i'm on twitter and linkedin and google plus but facebook is where i'm uh, i am most of the day um, and I do a lot of live video with different innovators and uh, uh, put up a lot of information about this new evolving industry. And keep in mind, I'm also authority on self-driving cars and Internet of Things and smart cities, stuff like that. So you'll see me uh, move that, uh, weave that in because the mixed reality glasses that are coming are going to be the user interface for all of that as well. Yeah, and also your podcast is awesome, vrpodcast.inside.com. Robert Scoble, the Scobelizer, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Now on the Innovation Show, we welcome Nicholas Jansen, co-founder of Blinkist. Welcome to the show, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. You know, we have on our phones six to ten apps that we go to every day. For me, Blinkist is one of those apps. The ease of use, the utility of it, the fact that it sifts through the noise of all the books out there, and it gives you the signal and gives you the book that you want to purchase thereafter is fantastic. It's a credit to you and your team. Thank you. I'm really happy to hear that Blinkist has an impact on your life and that you like to use it on a daily basis. Nicholas, it would be great to hear the story about how you and the other co-founders came up with this app. Well, it's quite a long story. So um, Blinkist was started by three friends plus me, and we studied together. And during university, we already kind of like discussed the idea of it would be cool if someone would summarize all these cool books that we want to read, but we didn't have time for, and just give us kind of like the key insight so that we can engage with those ideas without spending too much time on reading them because we didn't have the time. Um, but um, after graduation, we all went kind of like working proper jobs. And, but after a year, more or less, we came back saying, hey, like the corporate world is not our world. We want to start a company again because we founded a company back then as students and said, hey, what about this idea of of summarizing nonfiction books, because at the same time, we realized that there was a shift towards mobile. So this was like like 2011, so it was still iPhone 3G. Apps were around, but not that popular as today. And we saw that people spent more and more time reading on their phones. And we thought, okay, look, people, the reading habits are changing. People kind of like built new habits, how to consume information. 
but it seems that the formats that um, I actually in place haven't really catched up. So we thought, hey, this idea that people want to tap into the knowledge of books and want to read more books and the, the shifting reading behavior, that seems like a perfect opportunity for us to, to kind of like build a new product. And this is how Blinkist came along. So we thought it would be cool if we take the key insights from nonfiction books, translate them into a format that is native to mobile devices, and then can kind of like work around an app that presents the knowledge in a really smart and um, engaging way. Um, and this is how we started. And this is like more or less four years ago. Uh, we have learned a ton since then. Um, I think like one of the big steps in terms of product was that we, we started as text and then we, we launched audio two years ago. And this is the thing when it really took off because even if people like the idea of getting key insights from nonfiction books in a very efficient format, um, reading is still, still takes a lot of time and, and audio makes this even more convenient and people can listen to to uh, can learn something new while while on the go while commuting in a car yeah i think the audio is a key piece nicholas because you're catering for people you're maximizing their time while they're doing other tasks you mentioned on the commute you mentioned you can also download the stuff so you can download the content for if you're on the subway and you don't have connection so you've thought of every use case but the key piece is the audio as we move more and more towards the screenless world and you're in this perfect positioning from an acquisition from Audible via Amazon or some player like that. Absolutely. And um, I think it's interesting that um, we have seen a shift in, in the behaviors as well. Like when we launched audio, more, most of our customers would still opt in for a text, but we see that more and more of our customers go audio only. So in the beginning it was like text only, then text and audio together. And now it's kind of like moving towards audio, audio only which definitely is a very important piece of our strategy as well, that we want to, we are going to invest in audio, build new features. And yeah, that's part of the plan. The audio is such a key piece, Nicholas, but it goes deeper than just being an audio book. It's the fact that you save us having to listen to a full audio book because we all come across those books that we read and we go, okay, well, you made the point in the first chapter or even in the introduction for the book, yet I had to persevere 10 or 12 or 15 chapters of repeating that message over and over. And you have a team of researchers that seem to nail it every single time and get to the point of what this book is about, what are the key takeaways, and what can I learn quickly? And also to qualify, should I buy that book? And I'm sure people buy more and more of those books, but I'd love to, if you would share, how do you do that? How do you sift? Because you must have a great team of researchers that are behind the scenes, giving us the top knowledge from each of these books. De definitely and this is mostly done by to be honest it's mostly done by a network of freelance experts sitting around the world um so what i've one of our main jobs is to find all these smart people all around the world that are capable of summarizing a book or like kind of like distilling the key insights from a book non-fiction book and kind of like find them onboard them train them and keep them happy because obviously they do like a major part of what, of the value creation for us and we we thought it would be make sense to kind of like outsource this to a freelance network because like so we have like access to a lot of different experts that probably are like they have different they have other jobs like they are PhDs they're coaches trainers consultants and for them summarizing a book or like distilling the insights from a nonfiction book is kind of like a really intellectual challenge for them so they really like what they do there and we probably would never have been able to get all these people in our payroll so the, the network um, is really one valuable asset for us. The, the interesting thing is it does come across as a non-German product. So it doesn't come across at all from 
as, as a founded by a team of four non-English speakers, like you're a non-English speaker. Did you hear that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I know from my, my in-depth research, Nicholas, but uh, it comes across as a very American product. And it's funny, it's, it's the positioning of the product as a very global product, but also it just shows you the value of the, the selected audio, the narrators that you've chosen for the product because it gives it this real global appeal. Um, like the team itself, like the, the founders are all from Germany, but the team is very international. So we have, I didn't count, but I think like probably like 12 different nationalities. Obviously, there are a lot of like, there are like probably five or six Americans um, and four or five British people on board. And I think this is one thing I hear quite often is that people don't really realize that we are a German company. So we are based in Berlin. And for a lot of people from the outside, it seems that we are like an American company, probably from New York or San Francisco. And that is because most of our communication is targeted towards international markets, mainly U.S. and U.K., um, and it's done by native speakers from the U.S. and Great Britain. But it's a very clever tactic because if you focus just on the German market to begin with, like most people would focus on their local market to get a test bed, but you went wide and you went with obviously one of the most widely spoken languages with English, but also with American and English markets like it did. But do you also have um, more localized content? Absolutely. Um, we have German content too, and um, but probably as, a, as an English speaker, you will never see the German content. But it makes sense. And we, I think most of our narrators are from the US, actually, and give the product a really international feeling. And Nicholas, how does it work with a publisher? Do you contact the publisher and ask for a specific genre or a catalog or back catalog? How does that all work? And because and, I'm sure for me, it actually helps book sales. It doesn't. It's not a cannibalization of book sales. It actually helps. So how does that whole partnership work? So I think, like first of all, what's really important to understand is that we we don't intend to replace the book. So the way we think about Blinkist is that we want to offer a bridge between no book and a book. So we we saw what I mentioned before that we saw that a lot of people kind of like are interested in books, but didn't, didn't have time or motivation to read them. So the knowledge was kind of like out of touch for them. Um, in terms of, of rights, we, we have relationships with, relationships with all major publishers. It can be very different in terms um, how the relationship is. But I think what we always tell them is that Blink is actually creating a new market for nonfiction books because it's not that people just read the key insights and then they're done, but a lot of people actually start reading more books afterwards because they discover books they haven't thought about it, didn't hear, didn't hear about before, and Blinkist serves as a tool to really discover books and then really make sure that the key insights resonate with you, that you say, all right, cool, that's a, t that's a book I'm, that's worth reading. I'm going to dedicate like some time and, and read the whole book afterwards. Well, if you ever need a testimonial, that's exactly what Blinkist does for me. You mentioned it's a bridge between a book and no book, but it, it, for me, it, what it's done is it's gone and, and filtered the world of books because there's so much publishing in the world today it's gone out and not only it's picked the right books or it's it's given me a section of a targeted section of books that i will enjoy but it's also helped me almost pre-review try before i buy each of these books while getting the key insights and then when you actually go and read the book deep learning wise when you actually delve into the book you really pick out that knowledge and internalize it absolutely i think this is what we hear a lot of times that people actually even buy more books after, uh, since using Blinkist. And you probably have seen that we offer a link to purchase the full book after 
um, finishing the, the key insights. Um, so you can either buy it on Amazon or on iBox, depending on which device you are on. We've had some really great entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs on the show. And we had Ash Moyer on, author of, of Running Lean and also founder of Lean Stack. And, and Ash was saying, love your problem. Don't go looking for a solution. Dennis Mortensen, CEO and founder of X.ai, keeps what he calls a hate list of all his problems that he wants to solve in the world. This is what I love about you, and it's typical entrepreneur stuff. You're, you and your four founders had a problem. You had too much knowledge in the world. You wanted somebody to summarize them. You wanted to make it in the easy way, and you've created this platform that does it in an easy way, but also you've obsessed on the user experience. So, yes, you want to read it. We've summarized that. We've taught it that tick. Yes, you want to listen to it in the short bite-sized chunks. We've done that. Tick. Yes, you have no connection and you want to listen to it on your commute to work. Boom. We have that downloadable as well. And you've thought of every every aspect. What were you guys studying when you were in college? Um, I studied business. One of my co-founders, he studied business too. And the other two, one is a psychologist um, and the, third one, the, the fourth one is a developer, like an engineer. Well, that makes sense because... That comes across in the content that you guys choose. Yeah, I think like business was the first, the first niche we, we were targeting. We thought, okay, t- like probably the typical consultant or young professional is a perfect target customer because they have all the problems we had and we could like really empathize with them because we have been in the same situation. Um, and we thought, okay, they're, they're willing to pay for the product and because monetization was really important from day one for us. We always said, okay, if we want to prove the model, we have to monetize it. It's not a model where we can just like get millions of users and then figure out later how we want to monetize them with advertisement or something else. Um, and this is why we focused a lot of on business in the first place. But since then, Blinkist has become much broader. So I think we have the broadest variety of content on Blinkist these days from still business, but there's like a lot of self-productivity, um, health, nutrition, mindfulness, uh, happiness, even science and history, politics. So you can really get everything these days at Blinkist. Yeah, I've noticed that, Nick, because there's a much wider variety on Blinkist these days. And you can certainly notice it's gone beyond business and startup uh, books. Where is the future? What does the future hold for Blinkist? Hopefully growing. That's, 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 the, that's the idea, right? So um, I think what you said before, like, like you said it very nicely, but obviously Blinkist is growing. We, we really grow internationally in a lot of markets. And I think this is our major plan right now kind of like um, build a Blinkist brand, um, make it like more known, more successful, um, increase our audience, increase our customer base, add more content, um, improve the product. So as I said, like audio is a big, big um, focus topic for us, but as well, I'm thinking about new ways how we can engage customers. And um, that's, that's basically it. Like, I think it's like very similar to a lot of startups. It's, it's growth on the one side and improving the product on the other side, which go hand in hand in, at some point. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show was many people say to me, oh, I just don't have the time to read or I have a stack of books on my bedside locker that I never get through or I have all these books up in my attic that I never get to read. I just don't have the time. And there's always an option. And when, when there's tools out there like Blinkist that can just make life easier for you and, and accommodate your lifestyle or your lack of time people should know about that because it's a fantastic product to cater for everybody's busy lifestyle uh, like really thank you very much that's like sounds it sounds really great
Um, but I think that's that's true. And it's like one thing I realized is that there is never no time. It's always a choice you make yourself. And I think it's totally fine if you prioritize other things more important than, than reading books or learning. But uh, you should never use no time as an excuse to not doing things. But be, be sure that, you're pro- that you are that you're sure about your priorities and stick to them. Yeah, because some of those exact same people will sift through the news feed on on Facebook for hours on end or watch Kim Kardashian jump around about nothing. So the choice is theirs. Yeah. It's fine too, right? If you like Kim Kardashian, go, go, go watch your videos. That's, that's, I don't, I don't judge. Yeah. You can turn the sound off on the Kardashians and put on a Blinkist audiobook at the same time and multitask. Obviously I would like everyone who watches, watches a Kim Kardashian video to use Blinkist, but um, we're working on that. Okay, man, well, we'll leave it with that uh, lofty goal. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Nicholas Jansen, co-founder of Blinkist. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much.